Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we today? Hey, happy Mother's Day. I know this is a little cliche, but if you're a mom, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a mom. Hey, why don't we give the moms a round of applause real quick? Yeah, thank you for moms. We couldn't do it without you. We're super blessed that you guys are here today. Um, Listen, if you're new, we just want to say welcome. We thank you so much for joining us today. We hope and pray you can call this place home in your walk with Christ. And so a few announcements for everyone today before we get into our Bible study. Um, Again, if you're new, a couple things we want you to know. We have an app that's available for uh, download for the church. We encourage you to do so. Download that to your smartphone. Allow for push notifications so that way you can be in the know of what's going on around the church. We also encourage you to see our um, Calvary Chapel Community Facebook group out there on Facebook. It's a community group, but it's private, so you have to request to join. But that's another great way to get plugged in if you want to know what's going on around the church. And then lastly, ministry opportunities. If you are interested in serving in, in, a, in any capacity, we would be super blessed to have you. Just see our Yes, I Will board that we have out there. You'll notice that there's an area or there's a card for each area of service. Just grab the area or the card for the area of service that you're interested in and fill it out and get it turned into the Connect desk, okay? So a few things going on over the next couple months. Guys, we've got our youth lock-in that's happening the first weekend in June. That's June 2nd and 3rd. It's going from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. that night. That's going to be from grades 6 through 12. And listen, if your kids are going to be involved with that, they do need a signed permission slip. So whenever you get them signed up, make sure you get a permission slip, get that turned in on time. If you have any questions, you can see Joseph. Um, We also have another church outing coming up. That's going to be June 11th. Um, We're going to be going to the Dickerson Park Zoo in Springfield. And then after the zoo closes, uh, there's a Cardinals baseball game, a Springfield Cardinals baseball game at 6 p.m. that night. So if you want to come and enjoy the whole day, that'll be great. You can go to both events. Or if you just want to go to one event, you can. It'd be great. Um, Like I said, that's an all-church event. Everyone is welcome to attend. Um, Let's see here. There will be a picnic together uh, before you guys go in, and then the zoo closes at 5 p.m. The game starts at 6. So if you have any questions about that, I'm sure you can go see Pastor Russ. He'll be able to answer any questions that you may have. So get signed up for that. should be lots of fun. And then uh, we also have a youth pool trip coming up Saturday, June 17th. So if if you want details for that, check out the app. Again, that's grades 6 through 12. About from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Again, if you have any questions about that, you can see Joseph. Check out the app for details. And then lastly, guys, uh, JHS is holding a performing arts, like a jam club session this Thursday. Uh, Will Kezkamethi, he attends here. He's going to be running that thing. So starts about 7 p.m. that night, and one of our youth students is going to be involved in that. So if you just want to go and support them, the tickets are 5 bucks. He's got tickets with him today, or there's 5 bucks at the door. So again, that's this Thursday at 7 p.m. at JHS. So if you want to go support them, you can see Will any question, for any questions you may have about that. But uh, with that being said, I think we'll go ahead and bring forward the ushers and the greeters. We will receive today's tithes and offerings. And if you give mobily, now would be the appropriate time to do so. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, Lord, for your love. We just ask that you have your hand over this Bible study today, that you are lifted up on high, God, that we just draw nearer to you. We thank you, Lord, for all the mamas today. We thank you for just blessing us with them. Lord, we ask that you have your hand over them and just bless them, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning. How are you all this morning? Looking so good. Mom's all dressed up pretty. You got off easy, though. I was going to make you all stand up and draw all kinds of attention to you. And Billy just said, raise your hand. So you got off lucky. I won't be embarrassing you or anything like that. But we're sure glad that you're here with us this morning. And every time you're with us, we're, we are grateful, man. I tell you what, God is good. Amen. Amen. Why don't we uh, get our attention on the Word of God? If you need a Bible, we want to ask you to just raise your hand and we'll put one in it so you can follow along with us. You might throttle me back, just a fuzz there. Appreciate that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, guys, so we're going to just keep going right where we've been. We're going to look to the book of Isaiah. We're going to cover the 30th chapter today uh, in its entirety. And so we want to get going. And uh, the title of the message today is Repentance Renews and Removes. And so with that, let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father God, we just are so grateful for your mercy and how you, Lord, would minister to us so personally in a manner that is so timely, uh, God. And uh, we just thank you uh, for your love. And we pray, Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear you, that we would stay attentive to you and just give honor to your word today. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. And we all say, amen. amen. Guys, the result of rebellion is condemnation. The result of repentance is transformation. Rebellion will pile on detriment while repentance unleashes benefits. Now, unfortunately for some of us, it doesn't seem to matter how often the way of wisdom is shared with us or shown to us. There's just a prideful, rebellious element in us that always has to learn things the hard way. And we don't like being told what to do. We'd prefer to figure things out on our own. But guys, I would, I would save you years, a lifetime of trouble and regret and I would encourage you to abandon your own ways, your own wisdom, submit yourself to God's ways, God's word, and God's wisdom. And the only thing that you will ever regret is that you did not take heed and learn that lesson earlier. Amen to that. Well, with that, let's take and turn our attention to the very first verse of the 30th chapter of the book of Isaiah where we read, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not taken my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. What an incredible passage to ponder this morning. It's, it's what we might even refer to as low-hanging fruit, this powerful principle that quickly comes into focus for us, practically leaps off the page at us and puts itself right in our face, so to speak. But as for this historical context, let's remember the nation of Israel is at this point uh, divided into two separate kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, as Isaiah was pinning this passage, the Assyrian army was marching or coming down from the north had already completely devastated, had already completely decimated the northern kingdom of Israel. Simply put, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel no longer existed. Assyria had wiped them out. Now, here they are, they're sweeping through Judah like they came to chew gum and conquer nations. Uh, the only problem was chewing gum hadn't been invented yet, so they were just left to conquer nations. And they were doing a good job of it. And they were quickly approaching the capital city of Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem fell, 
Well, the nation of Judah would be gone as well. And so what we have here is a situation that honestly, truly, wouldn't be much different from a similar scenario today. If there were, and I hope I'm not saying anything in any kind of prophetic fashion, but I'm telling you, you never know. If there were a larger nation with a stronger military making its way through your country and approaching your capital city, you might have a little or a lot of panic in your bones. And you're scrambling for what to do. And that's where they were. And what they did is what most nations do. They sought the aid. They sought the assistance, uh, an alliance with another nation who was larger, could make them stronger than they could be on their own. In this case, what they did was they sent a delegation down into the nation of Egypt to seek a political alignment and military aid. Now, on the surface, that would seem like the smart thing to do. The problem isn't that they sought counsel. Guys, we even commend the nation of Judah for recognizing they needed help and a source outside themselves to come to their aid if they were going to survive. That is not the problem. The problem is where their counsel came from and who they turned to, who they trusted in for help in their time of need. They sought counsel, but not from the word of God. They devised plans, but not through prayer or seeking God's heart or seeking God's advice or God's direction and would-be course of action. And so understand what's being said here. Number one, they did not look to or trust in God. That's, that's sin, isn't it? Whatever is not from faith, the Bible tells us is sin. But then number two... They sought to strengthen themselves through Egypt, that is, trust in the shadow, the oversight of Egypt. They're adding sin to sin. They won't trust God. They will trust Pharaoh. They they won't trust their deliverer. Well, listen, now, if you're anything like me, and I trust that you are, when we read through this very first verse, there is a bit of a Let's just look at it again. Woe to all the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Is there a bit of a a check kind of that surfaces in your own heart and your own mind when we read through that passage? Guys, when I'm looking for counsel or seeking advice, where do I go? What are my sources? Am I one who takes counsel but not of the Lord? Do I devise plans but not of God's spirit? And I trust that you're able to pick up on the irony of the situation here. Who was it that the Lord delivered the children of Israel from all those years earlier? He delivered them out of, come on now, Egypt. Now who are they looking to? Who are they turning toward? Who are they trusting in? for help. They're actually turning away from the strong arm of their deliverer and trying to find strength in the place that oppressed and enslaved them and only held them in bondage. Guys, don't miss it. Connect the dots here. Let's do the math. Egypt in scripture will often be represented as uh, represented as a type of the world, okay? And so here you are. God has delivered you from the bondage and the the chains and the oppression 
of this world. Oh, you're in the world, but you're not of the world because God has saved you, delivered you by his strong arm. He has called you out of the world. But suddenly, or or maybe even in reality, you can see it coming. You've got a fight on your hands. Now, guys, quick show of hands. How many of you have come to realize that there are very real battles that we're confronted with in this life? Guys, we're talking, you know, people battle, maybe you're here today, you battle anxiety, you battle oppression or depression, you're fighting for your marriage, you're struggling, there's a fight financially, there's something going on. And now that you're confronted with the situation, the question is, where do you go? To whom do you turn for advice, for direction, for counsel? I mean, are you combing through Amazon or the bookstore on your phone looking for the latest self-help book from Dr. Phil? You know, or what, Oprah's Book of the Month Club? I mean, is she still doing that? I don't even know. Are you you retreating to the ways and the wisdom of this world, or do you turn to the Word of God? Ladies and gentlemen, do you trust what Peter wrote in the Word when he said his, that is God's divine power, has given to us All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. The question that confronts us is this. And you need to think this through. Do you really want to know God's word or God's will? Or God's way. Simply put, some people, they don't. They just don't really want to look into the word of God. They don't really want to pray or seek the heart of God. It's easier just to retreat to worldly advice or do what sort of seems right, even if maybe it's not right, or just fall back on what they've known previously or whatever the case may be. Judah was not interested in a spiritual fix. They needed a practical solution And so they turn to the world, strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. Look at verse 3. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to, what, Hanes, however you say And they were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them or help or pardon me, or be help or benefit, but a shame and a reproach. In other words, they went down to Egypt, but Egypt wouldn't see the benefit really of aiding Judah. I mean, they'd be glad to take their money to make false promises and all of that, but they wouldn't really help them at all. And isn't that the way it is? You know, when we turn to the world or rely on familiar resources of our past life prior to Christ. I mean, thinking we'll find strength in the things of the, or the ways of this world or the things in this world, it only makes for our shame. Egypt has no real substance. It's just a shadow. Listen, anytime we make a treaty or we align ourselves with the world, anytime we rely on the arm of flesh rather than the Spirit of God, it only makes for our shame and humiliation. Now, in verse 6, the burden 
against the beasts of the south. Now remember, Israel was in the north, Judah was in the south. Through a land of trouble and anguish from which came the lioness and the lion, the viper and the fiery flying serpent, they will carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who shall not profit. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore I have called her Rahab or Rahab Ham Shabeth. Surely you understand that. Now, admittedly, this sounds a little bit obscure, doesn't it? So allow me to expound. Judah is making or attempting, okay, attempting to make an ally out of Egypt. Question, you think Egypt's going to be glad to do that for them just for nothing? You know, put them, their nation and their, their men and their military at risk? Oh, just because they're good guys? No, not at all. It would cost Judah dearly. They took their treasures, their wealth, their riches through this treacherous terrain on the backs of donkeys and camels in a foolish effort to try and purchase protection from the nation of Assyria. And we get the sense that though Isaiah has no problem rebuking their foolishness, he kind of feels sorry for the animals that have to haul all that weight of all those Uh-oh, not sure what we got there. Uh, of all those riches on the backs, uh, you know, on their backs down this, un, for this unprofitable fool's errand. It's like he's saying, you know, you're going to load down the backs of all the young, poor donkeys. You're going to throw your riches on the backs of the humps of these camels and force them to carry all that weight through the treacherous terrain filled with lions and serpents and who knows what kind of snares for nothing to a people who shall not profit The Egyptians aren't going to do anything for you. It is dangerous. It is difficult. It is expensive. And it's a futile effort. And that's why he calls the nation of Egypt Rahab or Rahab, which is an, you know, kind of an emblematic name for Egypt. And he says Rahab Ham Shebeth, which, which essentially means pride or arrogance, the do-nothing. Uh, they would make promises upon which they would not deliver. They would sit idly by as the Assyrians ravished and just decimated Judah. And to make the obvious application, guys, such is always the case, again, when we're looking to the world for strength or for counsel or for advice. It is a direction filled with snares It will cost you dearly. It will promise you everything and profit you nothing. So in verse 8, now go, write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll, that it may be for time, that it may be for time to come forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children. Children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. God tells Isaiah, go and write these things down on a tablet, note it in a scroll. 
The idea here is that God wanted it to be documented. What he had told them, what they were doing, he wanted it to be documented, that he told them what would happen and why it happened before it happened. And this would serve a couple of purposes. Number one, it would serve as a reminder to them of how things work out when you don't seek the Lord, when you don't follow the clear-cut instruction of his word, And then number two, it would encourage them in the future to understand that God knows our situation and that we can trust him to instruct us by his word and to lead us in the way that we should go. And again, I I trust that the application seems obvious, but I suppose I should state it nonetheless. God has given us his word, yes? He has told us the way in which we're to lead our lives, that we should trust Him, that we should obey Him, that we should serve Him uh, with, with all that we are, with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, because He loves us. He has thoughts of peace toward us. He is holy. He is righteous. He is true. He is gracious. He is merciful. He's even told us how things will work out when we don't trust Him, when we don't obey Him. But too often, even though we hear God's word, we know what God has said, we choose of our own volition to go a different direction. To align ourselves with worldly rationale and reasoning. And how does it work out? To our own shame and humiliation. What's the lesson? In the future, know that God understands our situation. He has our eternal best interests at heart, and we can trust His Word. We can allow Him to lead us in the way that we should go. You know, I think oftentimes we read these things and we think, my, these people, man, they were just blowing it all the time. And uh, yet the New Testament tells us that these things were written for our admonition. That looking upon them, we might learn from them and not repeat the same problems. Perhaps a different cultural context, the same principle that applies. We know what God has said. We just do something different. It's like we haven't learned the lesson. But I want you to look at the fallout of a person, or we could even say a people nationally, right? Who add sin to sin. When you don't trust God, but you do trust the world, what's the result? Ladies and gentlemen, you have to reject God at that point on every level, don't you? Meaning that you either honor God or you don't. As a nation, we either honor God or we don't. We can't choose to reject His counsel and then somehow pretend that we honor and love to hear His word. Look at how it stacks up. This is a rebellious people. They're rebelling against his word, rebelling against his way, lying children, pretending to be spiritual, but in reality, the truth is completely carnal, doing their own thing. Children who won't hear the law, or we can just uh, replace the word law with the word word, (laughs) okay, for our context. They won't hear the word of the Lord. 
who say to the seers, or again for the sake of application, maybe the pastors and the preachers, do not see, to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak smooth things, prophesy deceits, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We just look at that, we just think, wow. But it circles back again, doesn't it? Yes, pastors and preachers have a responsibility, have an accountability to preach and teach the truth of God's Word. But ladies and gentlemen, my question is, where are the people who truly want to hear God's Word? Want to hear the truth of the Word of God? Now, I'm not speaking of you. Obviously, you're here. And God always has a remnant. But I'm just telling you, look around in our nation today. I should have done the, I should have fact-checked it. You could probably find out in about 30 seconds. Quick Google search, not encouraging you to at this moment. But how many people in this country still claim to be Christian? What's the percentage of this nation that claims to be Christian? And then you look around at what's happening in reality. It testifies against us. By and large, people just aren't interested in the Word of God. And Paul the Apostle, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he told us this day would come, didn't he? He told Timothy, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, there it is, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I'm okay you're okay. Love is love. Be seeker friendly. Don't say things that will offend people. Don't talk about sin. Don't speak of the cross or the blood of Jesus Christ. But family, these are the things that are at the very heart of the message of the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so if you want to see transformation in people, you want to see salvation take place, you have to preach the gospel. People need to understand that they are sinners and that every sin violates the holy and righteous nature of God. It places us in debt to Him. You know, when someone offends you, you go, you owe me, right? Well, every time we sin, it violates the holy and righteous nature of God. The problem is we can never repay the fine. But Christ paid it on our behalf, praise God. Amen. Through the shedding of His blood, the giving of His life. And that's why salvation is in Him. God credits the righteousness of Christ to our account, that perfect righteousness when we're found in Christ because He's the one who paid our debt. And guys, we could talk about drunkenness or homosexuality or abortion or transgenderism or any number of sins that plague our society today. We could even speak of the things that people don't seem to major on like having sex before marriage or stealing or lying or gossip or slander. But at the end of the day, all of those things are symptoms. They're the fruit of the deeper issue and that issue is the sin nature that lies within every one of us. But people don't like to hear that they're not okay. People don't like to hear that they're not basically good. But the Bible teaches that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now that's offensive. Preach smooth things. 
tell me lies. Make me feel better about myself. Don't call out my sin. Soothe my conscience. That's the cry of the people. And as it was in Isaiah's day, so it is in our own day. Now look at verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant and he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces, he shall not spare, so there shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. Guys, I'm telling you, it's like God is just speaking to our nation today. It's, we despise his word. We trust in oppression and perversity. God says this iniquity will be your undoing. You will collapse and crumble under the weight of it. And he says here, the brokenness will be so complete, so irreversible, so absolute, that nothing of any even remote value will remain. Like a potter's vessel, he says, that is, that is shattered to such a degree that the shards aren't even big enough to like, you know, maybe the, maybe the pot's there and it cracked and it fell in five or eight different chunks. But, you know, you still use it to get the old coals out of the fire and, and put, or, or maybe you can scoop a little water out of the bottom, you know, with the bottom chunk out of the cistern. You can use it for something. He says, no, there's nothing. There'll be nothing. It'll be shattered so completely. Listen, you guys. Decisions carry consequences. And God's power is irresistible. His word is irrevocable. His wisdom is incomparable. And his justice is inescapable. Now, what are you saying, preacher? I mean, is this all hope lost? Well, it doesn't have to be. Turn your attention to verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, underline this, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. And 1,000 shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee till you are left as a pole on top of a mountain, as a banner on a hill. So in other words, the Lord allowed, and this is, this, guys, this is the grace of God. The Lord allowed for a window of repentance. Like, this is what's going on. I see what you're doing. I see the direction you're going. I'm trying to get in front of you. How many of you have come to discover that God is always faithful? Whenever you're considering a sin situation, he gets in front of you. And he says, hey, you need to think about what you're doing here. But God's spirit won't always strive with man. The time comes when God says, fine, 
if this is really what you want, if you are insisting on pursuing your own way, then you can have it. But God calls out, repent, he says, return and you'll find rest, you'll be saved. Guys, God doesn't need our ingenuity. He's not impressed with our vast abilities. He says, just come to me. He says, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Not trusting in what we do, but in what he's done, you see. Simply trusting the promises of the word of God. If we truly trust God's word, then we won't disobey God's word, will we? But in our disobedience, we drift away from God. It's in returning, repenting, that we draw near to God. When we trust in the word, we're not stressing, we're not striving, we're resting. Guys, somewhere in here, we just can't help but hear the words of Jesus, can we? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But you would not. Uh, What about you? Will you? Think about it. Will, Will you return to the Lord? Will you... Find your rest, your confidence, your strength in the Lord? They said no. They were going to trust in political alliances, military might, their swift horses. God says, fine, you're going to need them to flee. They could have experienced the salvation of God. But they would not, hear me, they could have experienced the salvation of God. But they would not humble themselves before God. Submit the direction of their lives to God. Therefore, destruction awaited them. Now back in Leviticus chapter 26, if you're one of those Uh, you know, Bible research kind of students, and I encourage you to be. And again, in in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God promised them that if they would seek His face, if they would obey His word, then their enemies would flee from them and that one would chase a thousand and that two would send 10,000 to flight. But He also promised them that if they did not obey Him, if they did not observe His word to do it, then just the opposite would happen. And here God affirms to them that it's on its way. One of them is going to chase a thousand of you. Five of them will put your whole regimen to flight. Look at verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are all those who wait for him. That's an underlying kind of a verse, isn't it? We've said it before, we'll say it again. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Though decimation was before them, he says, listen to me, restoration will find them. So here the Lord addresses the issue 
of why he so often waits to do things in our lives. You know, we, many times, feel like it's because he wants to torture us or something. We're just waiting, and it's like, God, you know. More accurate to say, it's because he wants to be gracious to us. What's the takeaway from this verse? What God is saying is that we're to be confident in the grace of God as it pertains to the timing of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're to be confident in the grace of God as it pertains to the timing of God. You know, we think we have it all figured out. We think that we know exactly when God is supposed to move and in what way He's supposed to do it. We often feel like God is offbeat, like He's missed His cue and all the rest. Truth be told, it's exactly the opposite. God knows exactly what He's doing, uh, exactly when He's to do it, and we don't know anything like we think we do. There is a loving purpose to the timing of God even if we don't understand it. And it's so ultimately that he might be gracious to you. And the Lord waits for you even when you won't wait for him. Even if we need discipline in our lives to bring us around to repentance, God patiently waits for us that he might be gracious to us. He is exalted when he shows mercy to us. Ladies and gentlemen... Let's not get this twisted. It's not that I'm so great that even God shows mercy to me. It's God so great that he shows mercy to even me. Mercy does nothing to exalt the person who receives it. In fact, mercy recognizes the guilt of the one who deserves punishment. But mercy exalts the goodness of the one who gives it. It shows them to be loving and generous and full of compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. That just kind of seems contradictory in the context, doesn't it? How can you be just and merciful at the same time? I mean, if someone is guilty, you can mete out justice or you can show mercy but you can't do both. Well, guys, this is the wisdom of God. As David wrote in the 85th Psalm, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. God can be both just and merciful through the cross of Jesus Christ. In bearing our guilt, God's justice was satisfied. Now he extends mercy to all who trust in Jesus. Only in the wisdom of God can mercy and justice be reconciled, making him both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Trust in the timing of God. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Now, in verse 19... For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. Look at this. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Now, this is where 
We're turning our attention. We're tuning in to the results of repentance. Okay? Look at what he says here. You shall weep no more. How many of you have come to understand that God is in the business of healing hurting hearts? He will be very gracious to you. Do you see the, the conditional clause? At the sound of your cry. The idea is for whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Right? The first result of repentance, and we're going to see a number of them, not necessarily in any con- consecutive order with the exception maybe of this one. Uh, but... Number one, if you're a note taker or a margin etcher, I write them sometimes right out here at the edge of my Bible. Number one, repentance invokes God's grace. Did you see that? Again, as the psalmist said, the Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him, here's the caveat, here's the condition, in truth. You see, God don't play games. He knows when you're being real with Him. Okay? But I love this. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Repentance invokes the grace of God. Look at verse 20. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, through comfort and prosperity, and this is probably timely for our nation as well, maybe for your life personally, I don't know. But through comfort and prosperity, the people wouldn't listen to God. But having given them the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, they came back to that place of seeking after and and tuning into The Word of God once again. We might look at it like this. Number two, repentance renews our love for and obedience to God's Word. Okay? Number one, it invokes the grace of God. Number two, it it renews our love for our obedience to His Word. It gives us a certain sensitivity to the Spirit of God. He says, you'll hear the voice saying this way or that way. or used to be, He will lead you in the way that you should go. A love for His Word, a sensitivity to His Spirit. These things are found in repentance. Verse 22. You will also defile the covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. Literally, that the word is a, a menstrual cloth is what that is. You will say to them, get away. In other words, uh, they, they will just discuss. In other words, if verse, here's what I'm saying, guys. If verse 19 is salvation, verse 22 is sanctification. Okay? Number three, repentance removes the unclean. We will get rid of things in our lives that get between us and God. You will say to them, get away. They offend us. They disgust us. We want them removed far from us. Come out from among them, says the Lord. Don't touch that which is unclean, you see. There will be a separation, a sanctification. Are you with me? Okay. Verse 23, then he will give 
the rain for your seed with which you will sow the ground and the bread of the increase of the earth and it will be fat and plentiful. In that day your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise the oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground will eat uh, cured fodder which has been winnowed with the shovel and fan and there will be on every high mountain and every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. Pollutions removed, you see that, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in, the, in that day, the Lord, in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of His people and heals the stroke of their wound. Number four, the fruit of repentance brings forth fruit. Fruit that remains. Here he's speaking... You know, he's talked about the salvation. He's talked about the renewal of the Word of God, a sensitivity to the Spirit of God. He's talked about sanctification. Now he's bringing into focus for us the fruit that comes of it. Now, here he speaks of the material blessings that would be poured out upon Judah. I would refer you, just for time's sake, to the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. Just write it down, read it later. And then add to that the fruit of your lips, which is giving thanks to His name, the fruit of giving, the fruit of serving. And then number five is in verse 26. Repentance opens the way for the healing hand of God, the tender care of God in our lives. He binds up the bruised. Verse 27. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. Number six, repentance. In repentance, God fights for us. No longer are we limited to our own means, our own strength, our own resources and wisdom. But God goes to war for us against our enemies. God was going to take care of the Assyrian army. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world, the enemy of your soul. Guys, I'm just kind of rapid fire in these. I'm going to trust us, the Spirit to continue to expand on these as we're going through them in your own heart. Verse 29. You shall have a song as in the night when a holy festival is kept and gladness of heart as when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. Number 7. Repentance brings times of refreshing, times of rejoicing, and renews our heart for worship. You shall have a song and gladness of heart. And then finally we'll read through the remainder of the chapter, verse 30. Man, I've got so many notes in here I can't see my verses. The, the Lord will cause His glorious voice to be heard. And show the descent of his arm with the indignation of his anger and the flame of a devouring fire with the scattering tempest and hailstones. For 
through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down as he strikes with a rod. And every place where the staff of punishment passes, which the Lord lays on him, it will be with tambourines and harps. And in the battles of brandishing, he will fight with it. For Tophet was established of old. Yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. It's pyre. And you know what a pyre is, a funeral pyre. like a, It's a fire state where they burn the body. Uh, with much wood, the breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, kindles it. Finally, number eight. In repentance, we are reminded, or we could even say reassured, that God will be glorified in perfect judgment. That he will right every wrong. That vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Tophet was in ancient Israel what the valley of Hinnom was in Jesus' day. Originally, it was the place where people would offer their babies as sacrifices uh, into the red-hot, outstretched arms of Molech when they would lay their babies on the, uh, the brazen arms of Molech and, and sacrifice them through the fire. It eventually became a garbage dump where smoldering fires were continually kept burning. All, you know, oftentimes bodies of criminals would be there. Maggots are always there. It became a, a horrible, just, uh, you know, whatever kind of disgusting rubbish would be there. And so that it came, became for them a picture of Gehenna or hell. Okay? And by the way, we're getting ready to close on this uptick of a note. But, but God says, God says, for the king... It is prepared. It's like he's saying, you know what? There is a special, listen to this. It's like he's saying, there is a special place in hell prepared for the king of Assyria. It is deep and large. Like a stream of brimstone kindles it, he says. Now some take this on out to be a reference to the Antichrist. You know, like we have a foreshadowing and a fulfillment because one of the names of the Antichrist is the Assyrian. Um, others look at it even as a reference to Satan. I would say all of the above are true. And I suppose the way that I would draw all this to a close for us is like this. Just make sure that that isn't true of you. You understand what I'm saying? Instead, invoke the grace of God by crying out to God in repentance. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you know the Lord, continue to trust in the Lord. Resist the temptation to revert back to the ways and the wisdom of the world. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Amen. God, we thank You as always for Your Word. And may we be a people who walk in repentance, God. That we wouldn't know what Your Word says, but then choose to go a different direction and do our own thing. But that we would choose obedience. 
that we would choose that attitude of repentance, that you might be renewing and refreshing our lives, and that we might be growing in grace and bringing glory to your name. And guys, while we're sitting here with our heads bowed, just real quick, just listen. The gospel demands humility. The gospel demands that we recognize our own inability and abandon ourselves completely to God's ability and trust in the promise of His Word that if we would turn from our sin and trust in Jesus Christ, we'll never perish but have everlasting life. So I'm encouraging you to trust in the Lord today and be saved if that's your need. If you're here today, maybe you've come. I don't know. Maybe mom's guilted you into being here today. (laughs) Or maybe you've just come because you know what? Something's just stirring in you and you're hungering for truth. You're wanting to know what's up. You feel like things aren't, there's something missing in your life. I, I just don't know what finds you here. Maybe everyone here knows Jesus Christ. I think that's great, but maybe you don't. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've done the religion. Maybe you've trusted in your own ways. You've gone your own direction. You thought, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. You never realized, wait, I'm not good. Nothing in me is good that dwells. No, there's nothing. There's none that are good. No, not one. We have all gone astray. We've all gone after our own way, you see. But the good news is that the Lord laid on him, that is Christ, the iniquity of us all. And he paid the price. He he did the reconciliation. He's the one who made for our salvation. And now if we'll just believe on him, we'll be saved. And so if if that message is for you, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's what's resonating in you. Like, yeah, I need Christ to come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and to save me right here and right now. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. Don't miss your moment. Just lift your hand. Do it right now. And if I see it, I'll say so. And you can put your hand back down. But I want to give you a second here to respond just to an invitation not to join the church, this church, not a membership. It's not a membership invitation. It's the invitation unto salvation. To become a member of the body of Christ, if you will. The bride of Christ. Anyone I can pray for? Okay, then, guys, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask uh, Dave and your folks, the ushers and whatnot. Guys, we're going to... Uh, Partake of communion today before we dismiss, okay? Just remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was broken and shed for us. And so I'm just going to ask you to kind of just remain in a a posture of of worship and meditation, contemplation, maybe thinking through something God has ministered to you today or maybe nothing of what I had to say, but God is just, you know, speaking. Maybe there's something that he's drawing attention to that he'd have you turn from. And be renewed toward Him in through repentance. Well, take care of that right now. Let's just humble our hearts before Him. Worship Him. Hold on to this when you get it. Don't take it till we all have it. And then we'll partake together, all right?
Lord, we thank you for your unmatched and definitely undeserved love. We thank you, Lord, that you have demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And so as we hold the bread and the cup, Lord, certainly we are reminded of your body that was broken for us and your blood which was shed for us. And not only are we kind of brought into a a somber moment, Lord, but a celebratory kind of a moment where you paid the price for us. You have loved us so completely that you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And you defeated death. And you are the first fruits of the resurrection. And so, Lord, we proclaim your death until we see you face to face. Bless the bread. Bless the cup. And, Lord, I pray that whatever needs are here today, we recognize it is your stripes that brings our healing. And so we commend ourselves into your care. And touch us, Lord, have your way in us according to your grace that you might be glorified in us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread. And the cup. And now let's rise to our feet, shall we? You guys got this. Come on. Stretch it out. There you go. Get that blood flowing just a little bit. Maybe I ought to start having you guys stand up before we get into the Bible study. You know, after announcements, why don't we stand, stretch it out? Yeah, little calisthenics, a few push ups. May the Lord bless you and be with you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and cause his face to shine upon you. May his word dwell in you and may you find in your heart just that that desire toward that that, uh, unction toward repentance. That you might continually just be refreshed and renewed in him. Have that heart of worship, just trusting in him, recognizing, realizing he has your eternal best interest at heart. And moms, God bless you. We do want to acknowledge you. We do want to honor you. We do want to thank you for being so faithful to the Lord. Your influence in your family is, is so powerful. I, I, sometimes I, I don't think that we even realize, you know, the precious gift of a godly mother. And so God bless you guys. And, and uh, may you just have a wonderful day. If you have any need for prayer, we're up here to pray for you. Whatever your need may be, we encourage you to take advantage of that. And so, Father... We do pray, Lord, uh, that your word would bring forth fruit in our lives that remains for your glory. And we do want to lift up the moms one more time here today. Lord, pray that you bless them. You pour your spirit out upon them, Lord. You just lead them, give them, Lord, grace upon grace. We thank you, Lord, for their influence in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would not only pour into them, but move through them and continue to glorify yourself as you use them to point others to you, family, children, friends. Uh, Father, just have your way. God, we love you, and we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your grace. And we give you our lives fresh today in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. And we'll catch you next time.